G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As I said a little earlier, lean in a little closer to the radio because the sorts of things we'll be talking about today you might rate as one of the most important conversations. A focus on the importance of putting purpose before profits, becoming ruthlessly customer-centric, and recognizing the critical role of trust when you are a Christian in every aspect of life. Could be business, could be any leadership role. Well, an opportunity today to pause and evaluate if we have clear values and a driving sense of purpose in the way we live our lives. Our special guest today is Michael McQueen. He says genuine trust is harder than ever. But trust is oxygen in the digital economy. What does all that mean? Well, he says people and businesses need to be character-driven. Beyond the natural instincts that we have around commercial success. And he's interested in how you turn around your life or your business or your Christian ministry role with the necessary ingredients to rebuild. And that's why this is an important conversation today. But let me make a special welcome to our special guest, Michael McQueen. Michael, welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much. Good to be part of the show. Michael, before we get into our conversation, I just want to run through a few of the things that uh, you've become known for. And we might get a chance to unpack these a little more, but uh, you're a multi-award winning speaker, a trend forecaster and best-selling author of eight books. Uh, That's significant in itself. Uh, You've helped some of the world's most successful brands to navigate their way forward in business. Uh, You're also a familiar face on the international conference circuit, having shared the stage with the likes of Bill Gates, uh, John Maxwell and the Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. And you've spoken to over a half a million people across five continents since 2004. Uh, You're known for your engaging and entertaining uh, conference presentations. And uh, importantly, let me not miss this, uh, you've recently been named Australia's Keynote Speaker of the Year and inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. So uh, lots there in your CV. I imagine that when you're a conference speaker, those things become uh, extra important, but important today for our conversation today as well. Uh, Lots of things there in your CV. It's been a busy few years. I've been in this space, yeah, for 15, almost 16 years now, and it's interesting. And when you're in this this area of studying trends, you can never stand still too long. And I think that's what compels me to keep researching and writing well, pretty much a book a year, a book or every 18 months, because it's just such a fast-moving area. And I think, you know, a lot of the research that went into what we'll talk about today is is driven by what we're seeing happen in the world of trends, but not from a technology perspective, because, hey, I mean, talking about technology trends is innately interesting, our driverless cars and robotics and all that stuff. But talking about where the, the hearts and minds of consumers are heading, you know, we're, we're, I think what's the zeitgeist of society? What does that mean for an organisation or a leader who wants to stay relevant and one step ahead of where the world's heading? So I think this theme of trust and character 
interestingly, is not new in a biblical from a biblical perspective, but in the business world, I think we're waking up to how critically important it's becoming. Michael, is there a sense in which this is the sort of substance that even the Western world has been built on? As you say, we could talk a lot mm. about technological trends and talk about the latest apps or whatever it might be, yep. but uh, we as Christian believers are really well-placed to be able to talk about this trend. And uh, when we talk about a case for character, we're talking here mm. about an intersection of where Christianity works in the whole uh, workplace, governance, uh, all sorts of yeah. big issues. This is really exciting, isn't it? I think it's really exciting. And what it, what it speaks to, us, I think, is a yearning in society for a lot of the values that have taken a back seat over the last few decades. So into so many years, for centuries, really. I mean, certainly in the West, our Judeo-Christian framework shaped it almost gave some, I guess, some invisible boundaries around what businesses should and shouldn't do, how they should and shouldn't treat their staff and their customers. But as as some of those values have become, I guess, less front and centre in our psyche, I think as things have slipped, we've gotten to a point where you've seen so many businesses cut corners in the name of shareholder returns or in the name of efficiency or cut, you know, cutting costs. And then suddenly... Now, you reap what you sow, and you do those things for long enough, and suddenly things come to the fore. I mean, we've seen so many of those examples in recent years. I mean, certainly an example of Facebook, um, with the example of Volkswagen, with the whole Dieselgate fiasco, um, Tesco selling you know, horse meat, so that's just up as beef meat. Now, all these things that I think are, are, are indicative of where society's values have drifted to over the last few years, and suddenly consumers are saying, you know what, this, this is not good enough. And so I think we're now holding businesses and organisations and you know, let's be honest, social institutions like politics and the church to the standard that I think we used to hold in decades past. So I think in many ways it's very exciting for the Christian church and for, for biblical truth because what we're seeing is some of those very principles that have been timeless principles coming back into vogue as if as if they're new or something fresh. They're not new, um, but it, I think we're seeing the need for them and the importance of them being given a, a greater priority. In your latest book, you've actually endeavoured to quantify how you might be able to measure trust and mistrust. Mm. I wonder whether uh, you can give us a little insight here, because how do you measure whether we are as trusting as we used to be? How do you measure yeah. mistrust? Is this something you can sort of easily uh, put some, uh, some percentage uh, ratings on? Yeah, well, you can, and it's been done for years now. So there's a couple of interesting organisations too. This is their main work. So one is a guy called uh, Richard, Richard Edelman, runs an eagle, the Edelman Trust Barometer. It's been run for years, and what they do every year is they measure people's trust in things like the media, in politics or social institutions, in business, and, uh, and in different marketplaces, different countries around the world, those numbers have fluctuated up or down in terms of how trusting we are. But we have seen a, a significant drop in trust over the last, probably three or four years, if you look at the Edelman barometer for measuring trust, particularly in the media, and I think some of that's a result of, you know, gosh, what a, what a weird era we're in when we talk about a post-truth world or fake news. And I think we've gotten to a point where people are like, well, who do you believe now? So our trust in the media has, has slipped, um, in, in many cases, quite sadly, I think. Uh, our trust in business is the same. So um, the Edelman trust barometer has looked to quantify this for years. You've got others like the Reader's Digest put out, um, every year, a list of the most trusted brands um, here in Australia and beyond. Um, even Harris Poll um, actually released each year an index of trust as well. So there's a lot of work that's been done in the last few years on this, but I think it's what we're seeing is each of those indicators has made it pretty clear that we are more sceptical than ever. And 
there's good reason for that, and I think that that means that the, the opportunity is greater than ever for anyone who's in you know, leadership of an organisation, be it a, a non-profit or a business or a church. You know, this this is the moment where if you can stand for something and be trustworthy, you stand out more than ever before. Wow, I'm just thinking of illustrations of how trust really works today. And, of course, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've been looking at the headlines the same way we have. You know, we've had the yep. Banking Royal Tr- Royal Commission, and just yesterday uh, the Reserve Bank decided to lower interest rates again. And then, of course, all the stories that we'd see in the media flashed across <laughs> the news this morning. Yeah. The banks aren't delivering all of those yep. uh, cuts. And so we feel a sense of, uh, of uh, mistrust when it comes to the banking uh, institution. So uh, I know you make some reference there to the way that millennials really don't trust mm. financial institutions. And you mentioned uh, the way that uh, young people don't really uh, trust the media. So, And we know that given the uh, all of the challenges that the churches face, that the church is really at a low ebb when it comes to trust as well. So we're actually coming yeah. from a low place here. And uh, so I guess when you, when you talk about you know hitting rock bottom, the only way is up here, isn't it? Mm, it is. And I think it's interesting too, and gosh, we're coming into summer, of course, so we'll see. Just, you know, you can just imagine there'll be something this year in terms of, um, you know, disasters from a, a climate perspective. There'll be cyclones, there'll be floods. But I mean, there are always, this is, we're coming into peak time, particularly in Queensland. And we've seen over the last couple of years when these things hit, the behaviour of insurance companies and banks is often where those seeds of distrust are sown. You know, it's interesting even working with a couple of the big insurers who are still looking their wounds from the last few years of how they reacted to cyclones, plural, in Queensland. And, you know, the, the lack of quick response, not dealing fairly with customers, looking for loopholes and they didn't have to pay out. I mean, is there any wonder that we, we trust organisations a lot less? And I think what we're seeing is businesses are realising you just can't do that anymore. You used to be able to get away with it, you just can't now, particularly as you say with millennials who, you know, I think they, they are more aware of what's going on than ever before. And social media means we're in this age of transparency. Like if you rip off a customer today and they jump onto social media and it goes viral, that's a game changer. Whereas in the past, if something happened and you thought you know, hadn't been dealt fairly with by any number of organisations, you might tell a few of your friends, you might write a letter to the ombudsman, you might try and complain. But, you know, that's sort of where it stopped. Now, in this age, particularly an age that millennials are very comfortable in, you know, this, the age of transparency means there's nowhere to hide anymore. So I think that the standard is, is higher than ever. There's nowhere to hide anymore. And, in fact, on our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com forward slash vision radio today, there is a post for listeners uh, to perhaps respond uh, if they like spending money with a business that they don't trust. And as we're talking about all of these different illustrations, uh, we'll open our talkback lines in just a few minutes too and invite listeners to participate. Uh, You might have your own thoughts on trust. Do you like dealing with a business that is not trustworthy? And I think I also included a question on that post, uh, which is along the lines of, how do you feel about Christian businesses that don't meet your standards of of integrity and character and how trust is uh, is at a deficit in some Christian businesses. And I guess that's uh, where it really, the rubber hits the road today, this idea that, uh, you know, that consumers value trust. We actually can look at our own selves and make that personal evaluation. You like to lead people into this idea of making a personal valuation, Michael. Mm, it is, because I think 
this is where the conversation gets really interesting. I think from a, a, a purpose perspective, this is when you see people light up. You know, because you can talk about how to cut costs and increase profit margins, and that's that's exciting for a business owner. But when you talk about how do you how do you get to the place where you earn the right to be trusted and respected and admired, but also how do you get to the place where you're so clear on what your purpose is, that purpose and the values behind you as an organisation compel you to live to a higher standard? There is something about that that people, they, their, their posture shifts. And so I love talking about these things because this is, this is the gutsy stuff that I think for many business leaders, they they realise it's important, but you get so focused on the numbers and the commercial side of business. Sometimes we can lose sight of this, but I think at a gut level, we know how, how important this is. And I think for, for a lot of organisations, this speaks to you know, that sense of higher purpose, something that is noble. And I think for a lot of us, as, at, at a very deep level, that, that resonates, that's important. So I, do, I find it so refreshing to talk about this because it's the real stuff. It's not just talking about the numbers. Even though the numbers stack up, I mean, the businesses that are more trusted, more character-driven, outperform their competitors, have high greater grade levels of loyalty. There's lots of commercial reasons to do this, but beyond that, I think it speaks to at a gut level what what we have a yearning to do and be as human beings. Uh, let me ask you, because you're not a church leader, Michael. You're a mm. business leader. You speak into businesses. When you do speak, you're not speaking to people who come from a place of you know, being raised in a Christian home and all those yeah. wonderful values that we actually would say are fabulous for the way it shapes the character of a person. But mm. when you look from your position as a business leader at things that are going on in churches around Australia, and I am asking you to sort of tar everybody with the same brush, and I'm not, I'm not <laughs> wanting to have your, your, uh, you know, your judgment uh, specific here. But you look at the mm. church, and what are you seeing so far as what churches might be presenting by way of integrity, character? Uh, all of these things that we're talking about mm. today will make a you know a successful recipe for uh, for influencing success. Uh, what are your thoughts when you look at generally church life around Australia? Well, I think the the important theme for all of us to talk about as Christians and as and in a church context. And I was on the um, the board of, of elders for our church for six years. We have a constitution can do two years, two runs of three terms, and then you have to step down. So I finished that last year. So, things from that perspective from a governance and leadership perspective in our church context, you know, what is it that we can do to try and combat exactly what you're saying, that sense of people distrust in the church? And for us, one of the things we actively looked to cultivate was, and the term is probably irreverence is the right term for us to use. You know, in our church, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. There is a, a real focus on being real, on being authentic, on being a place where you can come as you are. You won't stay the way you are because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. You won't stay that way, but come as you are, there's no need to dress up, to act up, you know, just to come the, the way you are with all the frailties and you're welcome. And I think that degree of authenticity is vital. I think if you look particularly from a millennial perspective, what they distrust the most is when the verbiage doesn't match the behaviour or when everything seems to be sugar-coated. And I think we've got to be so careful in the church and particularly in some of the modern expressions of the church, which I personally identify with, but my concern is sometimes we, we have such a focus on being up, on being positive, on being exuberant. Sometimes that doesn't allow space for the really authentic dark shades of life, the things that are difficult and frustrating and and boring and laborious. And I think we've got to, we've got to allow for the whole experience of human nature in our churches, in our church services. So I think authenticity is something that we need to be so careful of because if there's even the faintest whiff that we're putting it on, that we're just using the right words, um, that we're not speaking to the reality of what's happening in life. People 
there's a wariness that naturally develops. I think that's something for every church, for every organization, every leader. Authenticity is important, but I think especially in the church. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Michael McQueen, and we're talking through issues of trust and character. I want to invite you to join in our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Leave a note too on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. We'll take some calls in just a few moments. But let me ask you here, Michael, when we talk about this issue of trust, this issue of character, we can probably identify that there can be mass migrations of people. When we talk about people changing banks or changing insurers, Mm. even changing church, even uh, to take the worst-case scenario, leaving church altogether. What are your thoughts about the power of mass migrations in this 21st century? I think it's it's something that we're seeing happen a lot more because there is that viral nature of what happens online, for instance. So when something goes on that we we feel strongly about, the viral nature of that means that you'll see a movement on that by people. So, for instance, uh, I, mean, I noticed, interestingly, Westpac Bank, they were one of the, I think, one of the last banks to hold out with funding for Adani. And I noticed online just how many people left Westpac Bank, um, and even people in my own sphere of influence, our family members and friends who as a protest, just thought, you know what, I'm not going to support a bank that I don't identify with or isn't representing my values from a, an environmental perspective. And I think we're seeing that happen a lot more. I think that's that's indicative of of what we're seeing as a result of what's online when something gets into the, into the mainstream media, particularly social media, and gets scale, how quickly we turn. And I think you've seen that play out with a lot of brands in the last little while. For instance, you'll get... I think it was North Face had this campaign about six months ago for advertising where they actually went onto Wikipedia and swapped out a whole lot of photos of, you know, mountains and rivers and treks, vistas and beautiful places around the world and put photos in of people wearing North Face backpacks and jumpers and hats. And it was meant to be the sort of guerrilla marketing tactic type thing. And I tell you what, people turned so quickly. Um, The outrage was extremely extraordinary because people thought that was crass commercialism and you know, it was inauthentic. And interestingly, compare, say, North Face with a brand like Patagonia, who just this week announced their first store opening in Australia and Melbourne. And Patagonia, who are in the same marketplace, just like North Face or Kathmandu or MacPac, any of those brands, Patagonia from the outset has been really focused on its values, particularly values around sustainability. To the point where a few months ago, they actually made an announcement about the same time that, by the way, North Face you know, walked into all that mess with Wikipedia, Patagonia made an announcement that they would no longer co-brand their products with any company that didn't match their values around sustainability. And interestingly, so if you go around Wall Street, for instance, lower Manhattan, you'll find you know, the artificial uniform of the Wall Street crowd is Patagonia fleece vest. They like the Patagonia logo on one side and the, you know, the, the investment bank logo on the other. Patagonia basically said we will not provide any of our products to any of those customers. That's huge from a profit perspective, but you should have seen that mass migration to Patagonia from consumers who said, you know what, we really respect a brand that stands for something, even if it's going to cost them. And so you saw, just in that example, how quickly one brand could lose a lot of customers, i.e. North Face, and another in the same marketplace, Patagonia, could have this migration toward them because they were acting with character. So I think you're right, there's something in that that's really important for leaders to monitor. We'll come back and talk some more about that, but let's take a call. Uh, Jill is on the line from Albany in Western Australia. Hello, Jill. Welcome along. 
Oh, hello. I um, really appreciate this conversation. Having, having been a single mum who has tried to move forward economically um, and having certain roadblocks in that process, um, one thing I have really, really appreciated about observing and watching people who come from different countries like Africa um, and the Indigenous people is when it comes to business, um, and you're talking about trust. People have different perspectives on that area of trust depending on their cultural background. And what I mean by that is when people have experienced no financial heritage and they've experienced high levels of trauma, as the Indigenous people have, um, the process to overcoming that, they can be still working through and navigating through trauma, but to to get forward... As, as we have seen from a lot of immigrants, you have to have an emotional intelligence to overcome those traumas. So when you go to the workplace, you can't bring your traumas to the workplace if you want to move ahead in a business. And in that particular area of trust, it doesn't mean you're not being consistent to being true to who you are. Mm. You're, actually being, you're actually being true to your conviction that you believe God wants you to move from trauma to a better place, to be blessed, to prosper and to bless others. Jill, you're raising some important points there and some pretty deep stuff because what we've been talking about is people's business, trust. You're taking this to a new level when you talk about different ethnicities, uh, about different race groups, about uh, immigration and how uh, those people uh, who are uh, immigrating to Australia, or mi- migrating to Australia, are actually uh, there, uh, how they actually uh, fit into a place uh, of trustworthiness and the mistrust that comes from people who have been hurt historically. What are your thoughts here, Michael, for, uh, for Jill? Well, it's, I mean, so many different things you're right that Jill has mentioned. I think one of the interesting ones that's turning out to me from a culture perspective is when we look at the things that create trust, we often look at it from a Western context. So we think about that, the Judeo-Christian values underpin, even if it's a faint underpinning, still underpin Western culture, and how that is not the case in every country. So, for instance, you look at something that we would say is necessary for building trust, that is integrity, you know, saying what you're going to do, um, not cutting corners, not being corrupt in your dealings, everything being above board, that is a very Western concept. I mean, it's interesting, I was chatting with a colleague recently who'd run um, the, the China and Hong Kong arm of an international business. She was over there for six or seven years with her family. She said, gosh, it was hard because they had to operate under the assumptions and expectations of European values because it was a European brand based in Italy. But she was heading up the Chinese market where, I mean, the way business works is you've got to pay bribes. And she said, you know, how do you, how do you try and essentially, um, not, not compromising your personal values or the values of the business, but you still need to operate in a culture where, for them, what constitutes trust is just so different. So I think we do need to be mindful that, you know, culture does play into this. Um, but I think internationally we're seeing more of a conforming to Western values. So you're even seeing you know, in parts of China the need, and, and certainly in the Middle East where, again, that notion of bribery is pretty common, you know, that the need to actually move away from what's natural to them because... In an international environment, these are the expectations around what constitutes integrity and, and trust. Now, I think the whole idea is, you know, certainly, you know, if you've got trauma in your life outside of work, you know, not taking that into work, this, this is a, an important distinction between being authentic and not turning every day and every moment into a confessional box. And I think we've got to be so careful of that. 
I'm in a church context, that we, in our desire to be real, in our desire to be authentic, that we don't um, lose that side of the fact that we are, desi- we, we are meant to lead people. And so, for instance, you know, I've been a worship leader in our church for years, and I think it does not serve the people or God if I get up on the platform and if I've had a, ch- a challenging week or a challenging day to get up and, and bring that stuff with me. Now, I can't, I can't be insincere and fake, but at the same time, this is not a case of you know, just sharing every bit of dirty laundry or or challenge openly because this is this is the distinction between being authentic and you know essentially when you're hardening your feet too much to the point where you're not serving those you're looking to lead. And I think that does require discernment, and I think that's important for every leader at every church. Thank you so much to Jill in Albany for your call. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Another quick one before we go to news. Let's hear from Richard in Brisbane. Hi, Richard. Hey, how you going? Very well, Richard. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I've just got a few thoughts, um, especially Christians and businesses. Um, I've been running a small electrical contracting business in the last three years, and um, my first few experiences with businesses is that um, Christians are the worst, actually. Um, I've seen, I've dealt with Christians in business, and they're the first to underpay me or not pay me. Um, the, the way they treat their workers is they leverage a lot of, oh, we're Christian values and all this jazz. But then when it comes to paying or, or you know, expectations of, like, we're trying to pay, get more out of the guys, but not pay them anymore. And it's just like, I've seen some places that don't even pay their guys their super. And I'm just like, there's legislation around, you know, government has legislation, but even the Christians aren't. Richard, you know, we're about to go to news, to and I'm not going to cut you short because you've said Christian businesses, in your opinion, are the worst. We'll come back and we'll talk some more about that after Vision National News. Richard, you were saying that dealing with Christian businesses has been oftentimes your worst experience because Christians are not actually coming to the fore with those sorts of trust and character issues that we're talking about today. Richard, how do you feel about dealing with Christian businesses? I think, I think um, probably, probably the difference between Christians and non-Christians in business is that um, in not, when you're dealing with non-Christians, they, they, you just don't trust them. They, they, you shouldn't trust anybody, especially when dealing with money, but there's this automatic, mis, you know, but when you're a Christian and then you're dealing with another Christian, um, there's this, like, you hope to trust that, they, you know, they have the same values and stuff as you. And, like, oh, like I was a bit younger, you know, learned a little bit the hard way dealing with Christians, but you, you kind of drop your guard on this mystery and not trusting them. And okay, Richard, well, you've made a really great point. Let me just pick up on that and get Michael and his thoughts here because uh, when it's a non-Christian business, you know not to trust them because you know they're not going to be governed by the same sort of character and integrity that we're talking about. But we have this sort of expectation and hope, Michael, that when we are mm. dealing with a Christian business that they're going to deal with us on a higher ethical plane, but that's often is what disappoints us. What are your thoughts here for Richard and this really quite uh, sweeping statement he's made about trusting Christian businesses? Well, I think it's, it's sad, and it's, and it's sad because it is so often the case, isn't it? So I think the interesting counterpoint I'd probably make to this is that I think the assumption that you can't automatically trust a non-Christian business is an interesting one, because I've often found that some of the non-Christians I deal with are far more character-driven. <laughs> There's okay. a greater focus on trust and transparency. I think yeah, the idea of yeah, being a Christian being something that you would... I mean, wouldn't it be nice if that was something that just meant we're on a level playing field in terms of character and integrity? And it's not. And it's just the simple reality. We are dealing with you know, failed and frail humans. I mean, even as people of faith, we're not obviously perfect and we make mistakes. And I think what I've certainly found in the research, what it tells us is that when 
when any business, Christian or not, doesn't live up to its values, rarely is that a, a, an act of deliberate intent. They're, rarely are they are deliberately looking to cut corners or do the wrong thing. I mean, sometimes you've got those who are malicious. But most times I think we, we do things that fall foul of the expectations of our, you know, our colleagues or our clients without realising it. And I had this interesting sense a few years ago working with a, a group of optometrists, and I talked about this in the book, you know, this interesting thing we'd had the, the morning was the discussion around, you know, what are your core values? And they said, for us, it's integrity, and the customer's got to come first, and you know, all the things you would expect a business to say. And this is a, a non-Christian, just typical corporate business. And interestingly, in the afternoon... We turned our attention to what were the things that were disrupting their business most. And they said, well, for them, the biggest thing that was happening is that people would come into their store, get a prescription, they'd want to take the prescription home and then order contact lenses online. And the big problem with that, of course, is most for optometrists, that's where they make their revenue for retail sale of things like contact lenses. And so they said, you know, what what, what we've started to do in the last few years is that when people ask for their prescription, we give it to them, but we give it without one of the key measurements that they need to be able to order contact lenses online and interestingly all the people in the room said what a great idea they all started writing notes down thinking that's a fantastic strategy for dealing with this this threat to our business and i said look i get that i said but let's just go back to what we said our values were this morning integrity customer first and i said is it possible that this is not consistent or congruent and you could just see on their faces with a moment of realization i mean they would never have thought they were acting in a way that was um you know disingenuous or um, their mean spirited, but that's exactly what they're doing. But you just do that gradually and so often unconsciously. So I think that's what we so often see in businesses is that we don't deliberately look to be dodgy, to use the great Aussie word, but we do it unconsciously, and it happens by degrees over time. And I think that's one of the things we've got to be so careful of. Unconscious dodginess. I like I like that terminology. Maybe we should. Uh, maybe that's your next uh, book title. <laughs> Thank you so much to Richard from Brisbane, who raised a important issue here about trusting Christian businesses. Uh, let's come to perhaps around solutions to this and I know uh, Michael when you're talking about issues of trust and issues of character uh, you do like to uh, encourage businesses to write down uh, their mission their vision those sorts of things so that they can quantify uh, what their business image is going to be do you think that businesses often leave out uh, these important elements of trust and uh, of character in their in their mission statements, or 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 is it something that people write down and then they ignore them? They put them on the shelf and yeah. or put that on the wall and never and never give much reference to it. What are your thoughts here about how you might turn around the ship if you are a Christian in business or if you are in the church life and you know that the integrity is not great? What are you going mm-hmm. to do? I think it's the latter. You know, when you say what what, what happens in organisations, I think most businesses now and churches have done the same. We've We've realised the importance of codifying our values and our mission statement, but the problem is often it's top-down. So we'll say to the organisation, this is what our mission or vision or values are, and we tell people that's the case, and it's you know, often worked out in a boardroom or an elders group, rather than actually having people say, you know what, well, we're members of the organisation. We're, we're, we're stakeholders here. These are the values that we think are most important to us as a community or as a business, and then let's all get on the same page and agree to them, because if it's a top-down approach, rarely does it actually influence culture. You have to be firstly aware of have we just gone through the process either tokenistically or authoritatively because that, that really will influence you know, the, the culture or the behaviour of an organisation, the things that over time build trust. Uh, but I think for a lot of us too, we need to empower everyone in an organisation to when they see things, 
that don't line up with your stated values, because that happens in any organisation. This, this is, by the way, how it happens by degrees, is that little corners are cut, little things are done, and people just turn a blind eye or don't don't call it out. And then over time, these things become permissible and culture begins to change. And I think the great insight that I often share with clients around this was one I, I came across from a guy named Lieutenant General David Morrison. So I was speaking with him at a conference in Canberra a few years ago, and he, he had just um, concluded a, a whole bunch of research into bullying and harassment in the Australian military. And interestingly, what he found is that it wasn't the bullying harassment was explicitly encouraged by the leadership or that it was allowed by, you know, the stated documents, you know, the vision and mission and value statements of the military. So the problem was when people saw bullying and, and harassment, intimidation, they didn't have the courage to call it out or there wasn't a culture of calling it out. And the thing he said that I thought was so insightful is that the culture, he said that essentially the behaviour that you walk past is the behaviour that you accept or endorse. And we've got to be so careful in any organisation, we've got to keep each other accountable. And this is, this is you've got to give people permission to have the awkward conversation. If stuff is going on, that you, you know what, that doesn't actually match what we say our values are. Anyone at any level in the organisation has got to have the permission to call that out. Because if you don't, gradually, that's when by degrees you start to act in a way that doesn't match your values and that's when the seeds of distrust are sown. Is it the case, Michael, that sometimes we're looking for some sort of rocket science to be able to supercharge our business Mm. when in actual fact application of some very, very simple biblical truths, and I'm just thinking of the golden rule where Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, uh, that that is such a guiding principle that you can turn a business's integrity around just by simply uh, taking some time to contemplate that statement. What are your thoughts yeah. for, the, for the simple ways that you can profoundly change the direction of your business or of your church or of your own family? Well, I think you're exactly right. Some of the some of the basics they have not changed. I mean, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. You know, just idea of when you commit to something, do it. You know, if if something is not working or there's been a mistake made, call it out, acknowledge it. In fact, that's one of the encouragements I give to clients. If you, you know, if things go wrong, and they do. I mean, in business and in life and in church, things happen. And when it happens, don't try and cover it up. Don't try and sugarcoat it. Just go back to that principle of authenticity and go. You know what? We're sorry. This, this has occurred, and it's not great. This is where trust and respect is built, and it is not rocket science. The problem is many of us look too, uh, too short of a horizon. You know, like the reality is, I think Anne Landers said, people of integrity expect to be believed, and when they're not, they let time prove them right. And over time, if you just keep doing the things, you know, winning the private victories, the public victories will follow. And I think for a lot of us, we need to give ourselves time to earn trust. And if you're in a position where you're in a church or a business where reputation has been tarnished, you need to start doing the right things and be really clear, very deliberate about them, but realise it does take a bit of time to turn a reputation around. It will not happen overnight. And if you're looking to measure success of whether you know, these trust garnering activities are working, don't look at has it changed in a week. Look at has it changed in a year or five years. And I think we need to take a much longer-term horizon. Character by its very nature, it's a long game. It's not a sprint. And I think that can be discouraging sometimes because it feels like you're not making gains, but if you just stick at doing the right things long enough, that's where trust is built. And, of course, in, in contrary, that's where it's lost and you don't do things the right way. And they're not complicated things. It's just the basics. When you don't do those, that's when trust is lost over the long haul too. And, Michael, we're all on a learning curve, aren't we? And uh, it's mm. interesting you've got Richard who called in and uh, very, very boldly said uh, it's tough dealing with businesses that are Christian because sometimes they are the worst but we are all on a learning curve, and mm. there are people who are new in business, 
uh, and they might be well uh, shaped by their Christian faith. They might not be. They might they might have come to faith later, and all of the same business mm. ethics that they might have uh, been shaped by may not be those sorts of Christian business ethics that build trust and build character. So we're all mm. on a learning curve somewhere. So not very good to uh, to tar everyone with the same brush, but to recognise that there are people at different levels, and so there are going to be some businesses that really do have a fabulous Christian ethic and others that are not so much onto that page yet. But that's, yeah. that doesn't mean they can't change. How do you describe the way that businesses evaluate themselves to get onto a really good trajectory of growing with a great, fabulous foundation, building trust and character? Well, I think this is where mentoring is so important, and the church does this so well. Because, I mean, in any given service, in any given church, you'll have people of every different level of maturity, faith-wise, different levels of maturity, life-wise, People have been in business or in leadership roles for years, and I think mentoring is such a key part of this because you learn from people who've got demonstrated character over time, and it's the it's the the principles, the lessons, the stories they tell you. That is where I think, in many cases, we that's where we learn the things necessary to build trust. And for me, now I think back to one of the one of the moments where I had to make a decision that I think was critical in hindsight into how trusted I was in the marketplace or, or not, and. The problem was in the moment it wasn't cut and dried. It was there was a grey area, and it was the it was the influence of mentoring and mentors that that really helped. I mean, the, the experience was there for me. I um, I mean, I would speak at about twenty twenty five conferences every month somewhere in the world, and I've done that for years now. So that's typical sort of business as usual a month in my life. And it was one month about six years ago. It was in June, middle of the year. And I had one event in my calendar, which is very unusual, but it's scary because you think from a revenue perspective, how am I going to make the wages bill this month? I mean, start to, start to get a bit nervous. And so as the month got closer, I thought, you know, work will come in. It always does, you know. And then three days or four days before the end of the month, still one event in my calendar. And I was pretty nervous about this. And it was interesting that for me, the values that I mean, I've always said, the two industries I don't expect speaking engagements from or client work from are tobacco and gambling. I just don't ever take work from those two industries. So... You can't write this stuff. Four days before this month kicks off the quietest month of my career, I get an inquiry from British American Tobacco for a huge <laughs> volume of work. I mean, it was going to be probably two-thirds of the month's revenue in one thing. I'm like, this is a moment. I mean, these are the moments where people are watching. Maybe my PA was watching to see actually also a person of faith, she knew that I said no to, that I said no to tobacco. And, or the speaker agency that sent it through also knew that I was a person of faith and that I also said no to tobacco generally. And so I knew everyone was watching, how would I respond? And in those moments, you know, it's amazing how we can easily sort of start to justify, like, well, what if I went in and spoke to metal, but non-deadly things they could do as a tobacco company? You start to try and justify in your mind you know, a way to get around this. And it was the words of a mentor that were most helpful in terms of the decision as to what I should do. And it was the words, the words of a mentor who said, a principle is not a principle until it costs you something. And that one sentence, that was what. Well, that's what made the decision. I thought, well, this is going to be a costly thing to say no to. But if this is a, re- if this really is a principle, if these really are the values I'm going to live by, then it's worthwhile saying no. And I, and I did say no, and it was interesting that it was still a tough month. But as you know, if you're building for the long haul, which I am, I'm so glad I did. And I think that's where I think mentoring is so helpful because it just, you get the wisdom of people who've been around the block a few more times just to speak into situations where otherwise. It's easy to lose perspective and make decisions that erode trust over time. There's some wonderful wisdom you quote in your book, The Case for Character, and John Huntsman, who said, there are no moral shortcuts in the game of business or life. Mm. There are basically three kinds of people, the unsuccessful, 
the temporarily successful and those who become and remain successful, the difference is character. So when mm. you're making those calls, uh, when the words of your mentor are ringing in your ear, you can't afford to take this shortcut at that point because that's what's going to hold you in good stead for your career, not just yeah. uh, for meeting those uh, goals for the end of the month. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think this is where I think the, pur- the purpose and the value of a biblical framework and reading also, me reading scripture consistently, I think, is so important. And I think of all the books in the Bible, I mean, every, every part of the Bible is valuable for the themes we've been talking about. But I think Proverbs is probably the most the most useful book because, I mean, the beauty of so much of Proverbs, it's, uh, you know, you've got essentially a dichotomy. Choose this, and this is the path. Choose that, and that's the path you'll go down. And I think in those moments, it gives us just that, that, that straight line to measure our decisions against. And I think the beauty of mentoring and being in a community with people who've got wisdom to share, but also just... In your own time, don't don't divest responsibility and say, I could better wait for mentors to tell me what to do. You've got the Holy Spirit as a, a, comfort, a comfort, a counselor, a guide, but you've also got God's Word. And I think there is so much in that that you know, I think we've got to keep having our minds renewed, our perspectives changed and transformed, because, I mean, the world will tell us what is, you know, what's acceptable, what's permissible in business. Everyone does that, you know, it's not a big deal. But you know what? In reality... What we've seen in the last few years based on all the trust research is what the world has said is permissible is what's got us into this mess. And so well, yeah, I think the beauty of having some clear lines to, to guide our decision-making, um, an ethical framework that is biblically informed is, is so valuable. And, and I think there's so much for us to just go back and spend some time, read a proverb a day for the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, you know, really chew on those proverbs, meditate on them. And it's amazing. I think that's, that's often the stuff that we need to get back to. It's not complicated. Um, it's not rocket science, but you know, in many cases, we still don't do it. Well, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. A lot of people will read a chapter a day, and uh, even <clears throat> even if that changed, and uh, you said talk about one proverb a day, because oftentimes reading the whole chapter uh, floods you with all sorts of things and yeah. too much to chew over. But certainly, there are timeless wisdom to be gleaned out of Proverbs, and timeless wisdom is so valuable because I mm. imagine, and you might be able to reflect on this, Michael, that. Uh, people who are speaking on the global stages, who are keynote speakers at business conferences, the ones that are going to have the timeless wisdom are the ones that are going to be uh, delivering uh, significantly. But those that are coming up with sort of short anecdotes and this, that or the mm. other and doesn't have the timelessness that the scripture has, I guess they're coming from a disadvantage point. What are your thoughts on, on, on what people are in business exposing themselves to, uh, listening to uh, people who are encourage them, encouraging them in business? Well, I think the thing that I'm noticing is that you'll have speakers come through who will talk about you know, themes and topics that seem like they're the new, the flashy topic, the flashy subject. When you actually peel away some of the marketing verbiage, these are, they're not new. They're principles and practices that have been around for years. I mean, even you know, the number of number of people that will quote, say, Stephen Covey, for instance, or Dale Carnegie, and they'll say, well, you know, they're, they're the source of this truth. I mean, actually... That's just another way of putting, you know, a, Prover- a Proverbs 4 or Proverbs you know, 16 or whatever. You've got all of these um, truths that are, are timeless. And I think it's interesting how we've got to be so careful we don't give veneration and adoration to the last person to wrap up biblical or, or timeless truth in some sexy language. And I think we're seeing that at the moment in a lot of books. Um, and, and I think, interestingly, some of the books that are, are the most controversial, you know, the, I think the subtle art of not giving an F, you know, that book that we've all seen on the shelves and it's been one of the best sellers 
I, I've not read the book, but I've read enough of elements of the book, and I've heard enough people speak about it to know that actually beyond all the controversial bluster, there are some really basic truths that are actually in some cases quite biblical truths. So it's interesting how the old becomes new. We just dress it up and, and put some swearing in the title, and we think it's a really edgy book. Actually, so some of those truths have been around for a long time, and I think we do well to go back to the source in most cases rather than just to trust you know, whatever the latest fad is in terms of you know, the books we read, the speakers that we listen to. It sounds like your encouragement is to take a fresh look at some of these biblical foundations that we've even mentioned through our conversation and mm. to put confidence in those in such a way as you can say, well, that's the way I'm going to run my business because that's the yep. way that integrity will be enhanced. That's the way that character will be shaped. Uh, those yeah. are powerful things and a recognition that coming back to God's timeless wisdom is going to make a difference to the way your business prospers into the longer term. Yeah, and that's interesting. One thing I'd encourage listeners to look at is, you know, what's, what's the Bible translation you're reading and how long have you been reading it for? No, I, I probably had the New Living Translation for about 12 years. That was the main one I would read. And I might have a friend give me a copy of the Passion Translation earlier this year. So I spent most of this year in the, in the Passion Translation, which is a relatively new translation of the new and I think it's only a New Testament Psalms and Proverbs so far. But I've just found that so refreshing because it, it is the same passages of Scripture, but just put differently. And I think there's something in that. I mean, I was reading um, 1 Thessalonians last week, and there was a whole section of that book that I thought, I'm sure I've never read that before, but this is a translation that put it in a way I'd never considered. And so I think if we're going to come back to biblical truths, there is something also about just looking at a pick-up an NIV or even pick up a King James Version, go back to something that is much older, and just try and read these biblical truths in a way that shakes you out of familiarity. Because I think sometimes the familiarity we have with God's Word really gets in the way of it being meaningful um, for us. So certainly for me this year, the Passion Translation has been a really good way of doing just that. Well, Michael McQueen, we have run out of time, and I do want to point listeners to get a hold of your latest book, The Case for Character. And you've written eight best-selling books, and uh, listeners will be able to check out which ones those are when they go to your website. I won't clutter uh, the conversation with uh, with naming those books, but except to say, go to the website and check out michaelmcqueen.net. michaelmcqueen.net. And no doubt you'll find Michael's books uh, on bookshelves around the nation, perhaps around the world. And just wonderful to get your insights today, Michael. And uh, let me just say that congratulations once again uh, on becoming Australia's Keynote Speaker of the Year and uh, inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of fame if there are listeners who would like to book you uh, for an event and i imagine that you've got a fee and all of that uh, but but people can contact you through your website is that how they would look to get you for a conference or for some special event they've got going yeah that's right the website's the best place to start and on the website too just in case that's useful for listeners there's a whole lot of video content we actually produce a video library with there's probably 60 or 70 short video clips that are just free on there. They're hosted on YouTube, but you can have a look at those. So there's a lot more in there that builds on some of the themes you've talked about today. So feel free to have a look at that if that would be helpful. Well, it's michaelmcqueen.net. michaelmcqueen.net. Michael, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today, and I hope we can do this again sometime soon. But uh, appreciate you being our guest on 2020. My pleasure. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.